Welcome to an hour of your life. We have a brand new theme song that we're bringing in. We are not worried about copyrights or trademarks because why, Kim? Because you wrote it. And I recorded it Recorded it, all of it. Like every single instrument in that song is, I love it so much. That's our new theme song written and produced and played and everything by Steve. He did all of it. Yeah. I love it so much. That was me. You did such a good job on that. I love it yeah. so much. But you know what? That kind of fits in with our topic today of media literacy. It really we're does. Talk about copyrights, trademarks, and things like that. We have kind of a lot to talk about today. Uh, we this is a passion of mine. Like I, I can't even tell you how strongly I feel about media literacy. Um, I used to be a high school English teacher, and this was something that even when I taught. Theater, Like I only taught drama and theater and I made sure to include media literacy as part of my lesson plan. Even then, even though it didn't really have a to- like a ton to do with what we were doing in class, I made it, I made it fit. Um, so this, this, if we ever get to be billionaires and we're philanthropists, this is where, or if I ever get to be first lady, like this is going to be my platform. Okay. God forbid we ever give me a first lady because we're in trouble. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So. Um, we're going to kind of jump right in because we do have a lot to talk about. I, the first thing I wanted to do is go, oh, oh I'm sorry. Well, well, can we define what media literacy is? Sure. Yeah. Did you want to define no, what media? No, you go ahead. Okay. So media literacy is. This is your show. Oh, I love it. So media literacy is basically almost what it sounds like, like, um, being aware of sort of how the media and advertise, specifically advertisements, manipulate you and um, you play on your emotions and your like societal norms to get you to buy into an idea or, or consume a product or whatever. And there's nothing wrong. I do want to say right up top, there is nothing wrong with consumerism per se. There's nothing wrong with companies trying to sell you ads. Like that's the way you buy things, but business, that's business. However, I feel like it is so important that people are aware of the fact that they are how they are being targeted and and how they are how the media is manipulating you. So it's really about awareness. It really so is. Yes. So one way we could say is targeting. Another way some people might say how you're being played, depending on the purposes and the intent. Yeah. Of what the message is. I mean, I so for example, I will. Um, I, you know what? I'm actually going to do, uh, I, I try not to do brand names, but this is a positive. Um, Tarte Cosmetics is the brand of cosmetics that I use. I really like them because they offer a lot of vegan options, which I don't think a lot of people think about when they think about ma- or, um, makeup, but I just don't like the idea of slathering animal products you, on my you, face. You just said vegan options and we just ate beef stew tonight. Okay, did you go vegan tonight? I did not go vegan, but, but I... you know what? It's not vegan anymore. The new term is plant-based. Plant-based, yes. Everything is plant-based. Um, no, I'm not a vegan, but I... Just the idea of... you. A lot of cosmetics use animal products, which, I mean, okay, fine. Like, that's been going on for hundreds of years, but the idea of putting animal products on my face is kind of weird to me. I don't mind eating animals, but putting them, like slathering up my face with animals kind of is weird to me. So, um, I, so they target that like companies like that will target my 
certain demographic, and I'm aware of that when I look at the ads. And in our constant attempt to not offend anybody, you know what? If you're vegan, that's your choice. Yep. You go ahead. You do that. If you want to eat... Uh, we have a vegan in to, our family. If you want to go on the <laughs> keto diet and just eat meat, you do that. Uh, we had one of those in our family for a while, too. To me, it just doesn't matter. You do what makes you happy when it comes to what you decide you want to eat. Unless your name is Steve and you eat too much sugar and your wife fusses at you for it because your doctor says you should not eat too much sugar. Moving on. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, Moving on. If you would like to send a donation (laughs) of brownies, pecan pie, uh, you can... Write write to us at alosthour at gmail.com and I will make sure to send you our street address and you can send... Me. You send me a pecan pie or brownies, (laughs) and I will make sure you get an Hour of Your Life sticker. I I will make sure that you get one if you don't. Anyway. So how are we going to cover this tonight? All right. So I wanted to start out with um, a survey. Now, in the interest of full disclosure and transparency, this quiz uh, came from PBS, the public broadcasting um, station that is, you know, publicly funded. Um, This quiz that I'm about to read to you is, uh, was written in 2005. So the numbers are, are probably outdated, but you get the general idea. Okay. So, and you can find this online if you want to take this quiz yourself and find out, you know, how you did or whatever. Um, so question number one, what percentage of American eight to 18 year olds have television sets in their bedrooms? 14%, 25%, 42% or 68%. I'm are you asking me? I'm asking you. Well, I took the quiz. Do you, what percentage of American 8 to 18-year-olds have TV sets in their bedrooms, do you think? A, a bunch. 68%. I think that's what I put. 68% of American children have TV sets in their bedrooms. Um, and the average American... So I'm not even going to... We'll just do it this way. I'm not going to ask you the questions. I'll just give you the answers. The average American 7th grader... Thank you. <laughs> Because that'll take a lot of time. Put me on the spot. Well, I I will also say, Steve and I both did this quiz, and I I scored... I am aware. I I scored an eight, and you scored... You scored a seven. I scored the eight. No, I scored an eight. You scored a nine. I scored a nine. You outscored me, and I taught this stuff, so you should be super proud of yourself. That should just tell you how aware I am. You are so woke. All right. The average American seventh grader... Um, watches three hours of TV per day. Uh, excessive TV viewing has been linked to obesity. Although I do want to say, um, because the PBS brought this up, no studies have conclusively demonstrated a link between TV viewing and ADHD. Um, although research in this area continues, it has been linked to obesity, may lead to decreased school achievement, poor body image, increased aggression, and increased risk of substance abuse. But with our interview with Anya last week, I can be a model. What does that have to do with anything? The fact that body you... image. Oh, okay. Body image. Gotcha. All right. Uh, the percentage of young people that say they either talk on the phone, instant message. That I will say that. Okay, this one really surprised me. The percentage of young people who say they either talk on the phone, instant message, watch TV, listen to music, or surf the web for fun most of the time while they're doing homework, only 30%. I thought that would be a lot higher. So a lot of kids actually are um, 
managing to like stay focused on just their homework. So that's good. A little bit of light. Um, the Do your homework, kids. 75, this one's scary, 75% of children willingly share personal information about themselves over the internet in exchange for goods and services. Okay. So in exchange for goods and services, they're telling where they live, their demographics, all kind of stuff. Um, researchers estimate that children view an average of 40,000 TV ads a year. That's a lot. Among the top 20 most watched shows by teens, about 70% include sexual content. 63% of American families usually keep the TV on while eating dinner. Uh, We are one of those 63% of families. Um, All of that to say that in 2005, now bear in mind this number has probably gone up considerably, all of this exposure to media and ads and television and so on and so forth Way back in 2005, teenagers ages 12 to 19 spent an average of $159 billion a year on whatever they, like, that's how much they spent, $159 billion a year. That's a lot of money. Where are they getting all their money? Allowance, just asking their parents, like, where, I mean, grandparents, Christmas, birthday, I don't know. Okay. But that was way back in 2005, so it's, I'm sure it's gone up exponentially. So, uh, if you want to take that quiz, you can. It, it takes a little bit of looking, but you can go to PBS and search for it. You can do a Google search for PBS Media Literacy Quiz. It's pretty eye-opening and, and kind of interesting and entertaining. So, you, well, what is, are we... Okay, so as we're getting into the show after the quiz... I'm going to talk a little bit about the history of media, about advertising, because really what we're talking about is advertising and marketing yes, and how that's targeted and focused for people. So I'm going to get a little bit into the history of this, and we're going to go back a long way that you can actually trace advertising back to, to like ancient civilizations. And it's one of the major reasons that we have capitalist societies, capitalist economies in the world right now. Because as you'll see, this is big, big money. It is big, Mm. big business. So like in the mid-19th century, it was based primarily on newspapers, magazines. The 20th century, it was um, advertising rapidly rapidly with new technologies such as direct mail, radio, television, the Internet, and mobile devices. Well, that's it. What? That's it. That's that's the history of media. That's, that's all? You want me to go into a little bit more detail? I mean, that would be great. Okay, so the, <sighs> the Egyptians used to use papyrus to make sales messages and wall posters on back in the day. So uh. a merchant may need to advertise this or that or let people know. We actually had... kind of touched on this a little bit when we did our Porkopolis episode. Um, I think we did. We talked about receipts back then being written on papyrus. Commercial messages, political campaign displays have also been found in the ruins of Pompeii and Arabia. Wow. So even politicians back in the day were doing this. In ancient China, that they used to use, it was mostly oral communication to advertise, just spoken word of mouth, hmm. how they would do that. But during the Song Dynasty, they, um, they found copper printing plates that dated back to the Song Dynasty that were used to make print posters in the form of um, basically sheets, like little bills, handbills, or something like that. 
and they found them with like a little rabbit logo advertising, I can't say this, Yin Lu's Fine Needle Shop. Interesting. Yeah, so that was back. Okay, so the Song Dynasty was approximately 960 to uh, 1279. So now as we move up, as we well, not move up, we move over in Europe and cities and towns during the Middle Ages, it began to grow. The, okay, so I don't think it's any surprise the general populace at that time was unable to read. Yeah. So that there were signs up. So like oh, if yeah. you're a, a cobbler, a miller, the tailor, the blacksmith or a, something a like that. Picture of your you would just have a picture right. up so you could do that. So again, it's targeting your audience. Yeah. I mean, why would you spend all that time printing something that that no one no one can read, right? Yeah, right. Okay, so, and that's really as we get into this, and I hope you will. It's really what it's all about. So they would use an image associated with their trade, such as a boot, a suit, a hat, a clock, diamond, a horseshoe, a candle, or even a bag of flour to advertise whatever their business was. Hmm. Okay, so now we get back in trademarks. The earliest sign of attaching a seal or a mark to your product was widespread. You want to take a guess how many years ago? Trademarking? Trademarking. Um, well, we'll call it just marking your product. Oh, I would say a long time ago because uh, you said during the ago. Song Dynasty or whenever it was uh, back about, in the 1200s. Yeah, well, this goes back. Trademarking a little bunny. stretches back to about 4,000 years ago. It's like the Energizer bunny. That's what I was trying uh, to think of. Yeah, four. <laughs> it's been going since... Four four thousand years, years ago, ago. that little dumb bunny. Yeah. So, but then then we had town criers in ancient towns and cities. Again, where most of the people were illiterate, but that is a form of advertising. Town criers did that. Yep. I always thought town criers did like I didn't know they did advertising. I thought they did kind of like the news and well, like let you know what time of day it was. Okay, but. but they they were called out to call out the official announcements and general news. But that's still advertising because let's think about politics. So that's that's what they did. But before long, private individuals begin to employ the public criers or the town criers to act as basically as auctioneers to hawk their products to do this or do that. So, were they, so like, they start they they started paying these people to advertise their product. Were they like moonlighting or were they doing it after so like let's say I don't 13 know. people were beheaded in the square today? And while you're in town, go visit the miller. Like, yeah, is I, it something I, like that? Or? I guess, but I, you know, they, they had plenty of time, so th- that's what they were doing with it. So these street criers or the, um, what do we call them? The town criers? The, the town, the, yeah, the town criers. They were kind of like the original form of mass media. This was the beginning of mass media huh. because they're out there reaching the masses, talking yeah. and hawking these products. Okay, so signboards started becoming popular. The use of commercial signage, go well, when I say became popular, they, they go back a really, really ancient history. Retail signage and promotional signs um, first appeared to develop independently in the East and the West. So like in China, in Asia, and in Europe, they all started developing just about... About this, the same time? About the same time. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I guess that makes sense because you still had trading back and forth between the East and the West. So, like, if you were well, I mean, there's from a, the West, you go to the East to buy your silk or whatever, you come back. Yeah, and well, like, there, but this. there's a history of certain things that are developed independently where yeah. there's no trade, just as, as mankind developed. Yeah, so that's... Huh. But it's, it's all with part of this industry right here. So, in the modern 
um, modern advertising began to take shape with the newspapers and magazines in the 16th and 17th century. The very first weekly gazettes appeared in Venice in the early 16th century. In Britain, the first weeklies, we'll call them weeklies, appeared in about the, in the 1620s. The first daily newspaper was the Daily Current, which was published from 1702 to 1735. And almost from the outset, the newspapers carried advertising to help lower their cost of printing and of distribution. That makes sense. Yeah, I mean, they've got to pay for it. They've got to make money. And this was in England? That was The Daily Current? 1702 to 1735, yes. In England, okay. Yep. So the earliest commercial, though, advertisements were for books and quack medicines. Believe it it or not. Yep. Like our old friend CBD oil. Well, okay. I know people that use CBD oil, but like we said at the beginning, you do whatever you (laughs) want to do. I used CBD oil to help alleviate some dizziness that I had, um, that I have, I take from, I take medication for it and I was running low on medication. So I tried CBD oil, which was supposed to help alleviate the dizziness. I'm, I mean, I guess it kind of helped a little bit, but I don't know if, if that was a placebo effect or if it really did help. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so by the 1650s, the variety of products being advertised had increased significantly what they were doing. Advances in uh, printing allowed the retailers and manufacturers to prevent handbills and trade cards. And uh, an example of this is a guy named Jonathan Holder, who was a London businessman. The 1670s gave every customer a printed list of, of his stock with the prices affixed. And so, you know, what these trade cards developed into... Uh, Take a guess. The stock market? Business business stock- cards. Oh, okay. Yeah, they, they, that makes sense. Yeah, they developed into business cards. My answer was good, too. Uh, but, <laughs> but, <laughs> so, but people thought of this, and they looked at it as this was a dangerous practice, and it was seen as an unnecessary, unnecessary expense for retailers by him, mm. by him printing that out. But apparently, he was ahead of his time. But the other businessmen were like, uh, what a waste of money. What a waste of time. We're not going to do that. You're wasting your money. You know what they've turned into now? What? Stickers. Stickers? Yeah. Uh, young people want stickers. That's why That's why I have Hour of Your Life podcast stickers, because okay. everybody loves stickers. They're everywhere now. Okay. So... <laughs> what? <laughs> Nothing. So by the 18th century, these were printed on more substantial cards and typically bore the tradesman's name and address. And that's where it became into, like, the business card thing. Mm. Um, in 1836, June to be specifically, a, um, Emile de Gerardin, a French guy, who was the editor of a French newspaper called La Presse, was the first to rely on paid advertising to lower his price. So I guess other people were using to help. Okay, how do you say it, Kim? <laughs> I'm getting the look. I have no idea. You butchered it so badly. Okay, well, hang it's on. all right though. It's all right. Okay. It's okay. Okay. <laughs> it was a noble effort. Okay, I don't speak French. <laughs> I can do a little bit of German. No Spanish, and I can barely speak English. <laughs> you, you tried. That was awesome. Okay. But um, this was the first example of when they completely relied, I guess, even more heavily on making money, not just to help defray the cost, but to make money off of advertising. So 
his formula was soon copied by all the other magazines, the all the printed press, and it started like this trend now to this is how we're going to pay for our publication, this is how we're going to do it. We're going to do it off of advertising. And again, medicines, while they were, they were increasingly sought after by modern people, because modern people at this time were starting to reject traditional cures, so you saw a lot of medicines and stuff like that being advertised in the newspaper. Is, is this during the time when you could buy Coca-Cola with real Coke? Uh, no, I think this was well before this. Ah. Um, this, according to my notes, this was the beginning of false advertising and quackery. So everything I read here said that once they started advertising these medicines, that's when the false advertisement, up until now, people just said, here's my product, here's where I'm at. But now it's turning into a marketing type thing. I wonder if this is around the time. Um, so we took a tour of a distillery, what, probably about a year ago. And they talked to us about um, how proofing came about because there were people that were trying to cheat um, like tavern owners out of their liquor and they were watering it down. And so then then uh, you had to submit it to be proofed. I wonder if this if that kind of thing started happening around this time too. Maybe. It, it's about the same time period, if I remember back to that tour. So anyway, so the Cope Brothers and Company Tobacco Company, they founded in Liverpool in 1848. Their ads were directed at middle-class men that promised, see, so now it's, it's targeted. It's focused Our advertising. targeting, yeah. yeah. And so they, they were targeting people and saying that smoke not only checks disease, but preserves the lungs. No. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> My, how times have changed. So, as we move forward, a guy named Tom, Thomas J. Barrett was hailed as the father of modern advertising. He was working for the Pears Soap Company, and Bear created an effective advertising campaign for the company products. It involved the use of targeted slogans, images, and phrases. One of his slogans was, Good morning. Have you used pear soap? Which was famous in its day and it continued on up into the twentieth up into the twentieth century. It was such wow. a popular yeah. It reminds me of the army's most successful campaign ever, the be all you be be, be all that you can be campaign. All that you can be get yeah. an edge on yeah. life. So, I still remember that. Yeah. And yeah, so that jingle is still in our head. So yeah. obviously it was a very successful campaign. And I guess Mr. Barrett's campaign of have you used pear soap was the equivalent. Okay, but you see how business now, people are starting yeah. to think, hey, if we do this, we can focus, we can do this, we can start targeting people. And this whole thing is going to really evolve into what we know it as today. I so, think that, you know what, you just gave me an idea for possibly a follow-up show for next week. Um, and that's interesting claims that are totally untrue. Or uh, like interesting, that one. interesting ways, or or just the origins of some things like the the cornflakes, Kellogg's cornflakes, and how apparently that was um, originated as an anti, sort of like an oh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. Um, it's supposed to make you less of a lotharia. We'll say it that way. You're supposed to be supposed to uh, decrease your libido, is what I'm trying to go for. Supposedly, that's the myth. 
So maybe we can get into some advertising myths sometime. <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs> okay, but it was Barrett that introduced many of the, the ideas and the things that, we, that lie behind a successful marketing <laughs> and advertising campaign that are being used in today's world of marketing and advertising. He constantly stressed the importance of strong and exclusive brand image for pairs and the emphasizing the product's availability through saturation campaigns. So, I mean, that's what we see now. In your face so, all the yeah, time. And that's why we said this is the beginning of the modern-day advertising. I wonder if in the future, if the way we ever... Well, it is changing right before our eyes. I mean, if you say something... If, if you Google something... Oh, yeah. And the next thing you know... Yes. It's showing up in your Facebook feed all over the place. It's so annoying, too. Going back to the veganism thing. So um, Steve's daughter, Sarah, is vegan. And at Thanksgiving, I was researching uh, vegan recipes, like, so that we, when we do our Thanksgiving, so that um, we can have stuff for Sarah so she's not left out. And so I was Googling vegan recipes. And now there's all this vegan food stuff in my Facebook. It's plant-based. Well, no, Everything it's not being, saying no. It's not saying plant based. It's using vegan because that's the term that I use in my search. Okay, so but are you? But are you? If you watch TV, if you go through the store, everything now it doesn't say vegan now. It says plant based. I see that everything is plant based. Yes, and I, so I guess the people who are doing the market research have yep. determined that plant based is a more user friendly term. It really is because I think I think that I will say I think vegans but get a bad rep. Um. The, I mean, the stereotype is that vegans are really in your face about it, and that's not true. I mean, you can't blanketly say any people group is all one way or another, but I think that's the stereotype of vegans, and so they want to shy away from that negative stereotype, and they want to go plant-based yep. instead. And, so that, and people have researched that, and that's, mm-hmm. that's what it's I think become. that's what it is. Yeah. He also understood the importance of constantly reevaluating the market for changing taste and in tradition style, not traditions or styles, but just how change and just like those stereotypes, just exactly just what we're saying. You know, yep. people, you know, make fun of vegan, vegan this, vegan that, and we're not picking on vegans, no. but they, the people, you know, who watch this say, you know what, that's got a bad image. Bad if connotation. We, if we, yeah, to bad it. connotation. Yeah. So let's let's change the terminology. We'll call it plant based, and that's exactly what uh, Mr. Barrett, you know, saw and. Right. He started working on this. So, started stayed in, in 1907, taste for change, fashions change, and the advertiser has to change with them. That's, so, that's what he said in 1907. So, that's exactly what's happened. You have to be aware. An idea that was effective a generation ago might fall flat still and unprofitable if it were presented in the same way today. Well, and I think we stumbled on the, the vegan image here. Yeah. But this is... I mean, we couldn't have, I don't know if I could have come up with a better example of how to do this. Yeah. Well, another uh, thing that I was thinking about um, when we were having our production meeting earlier is we, <laughs> <laughs> we talked about... Um, you mean while we were having coffee this yes, morning? Yes, 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 okay. our production meeting. Um, so one of the things that you, you guys might have seen is uh, back in, I think it was probably like the 20s or 30s, there is an advertisement for nobody wants a skinny girl. Take these supplements and they'll help you gain weight and you'll be curvy and attractive women. Whereas now, like nobody would buy that. Nobody wants a, a 
I mean, well, now people kind of do want a thick girl, but they want like a little waist and a thick, thick bottom, I think is the, is the fashion now. But you wouldn't see that. You wouldn't see like a weight gain, like fat building supplement today. Okay. <laughs> right? No, you wouldn't. I, I mean, that's not, right? I don't know. We still see products to advertise to be thinner. Right. But, that's but what they, I'm saying. Like thinner, but not heavier. Back in the 20s or whatever, 30s, when started to be uh, probably into the 40s, maybe now that I think about it, when waspish, wayfish girls were not in anymore and guys wanted a curvier girl, if you were just naturally thin, there were products to help you gain weight and that would not fly now because that's not the style now. Well, I th- you know what? I think you can spot commercials that are made by the same advertising company or they follow the same style. So something becomes popular. Remember a couple of years ago, everything was clear. Like you couldn't, like if you bought a bottle of pop or soda, depending on where you're from, it was advertised as clear. The shampoo, everything was advertised as clear. Yeah. So like right no now. No added colors or whatever. Yeah. So like right now, if you think about it, um, let, let's think of like a lot of the insurance companies, like the Mayhem, the Emu. Emu, the duck, the gecko, they're all kind of Animal based. silly, fun. Well, I guess the mayhem guy is. Mayhem like, has one with like cats and cat dogs and now. Dog, yeah, it's yeah. cute. But, you know, they're, they're more of like a fun. They're more of goofy. Make, make you laugh, yeah. goofy, goofy type things. Some companies don't. Some companies do. But I'm wondering if we were to look back, if those companies that are using these like silly based or fun things are using a different advertising company than someone else does. Yeah. But you know what? Someone obviously has studied this, and they think it's the way to go. It's big business. It spawned multiple industries to support marketing and advertising. I mean, just think about, like, what Anya talked to us last week. So, you know, there's a company that has a product. They want to present a certain image, so they will hire a model to model either their clothing or the model to portray, Mm -hmm. portray the image they're trying to sell that they want their company to look. I mean, yep. I know the kind of clothes that I like to buy. Right. And I like, it's just, that I feel comfortable. I feel more comfortable in like cotton and wool and things like that and more earthy toned stuff. So those commercials like to, you know, the, the, the sports companies, yeah. the outdoors company, they appeal to me because that's the type of thing that I like to see. Okay. Yeah. So then they go through and they hire the right agency to develop their image. So as I'm doing this, what I want you to think about is all the different people that are involved in the business. So you got like the, yeah, it's, there, there are just so many things that are involved with this. Um, they hire the right people to pray, portray their image, the copyright people. So now you got lawyers involved. The media is involved, whether it's print, digital, TV, or the movies. Um, you know, a company say a company that pays big bucks to show their icon on TV or a film. So like, um, like if there's a computer sitting on the table mm-hmm. and, you know, there will be that one close shot that you might see, you know, if it's an Apple logo or an HP logo or something like that. Right. You know, that company has paid big bucks to get Oh, that. there are no accidents in, no. in movies. Yeah, think about a James Bond film. Think oh, about I the different say... cars that he's driven. Yeah, actually there are accidents. Think yeah. back to that Starbucks Game of Thrones thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was an accident. <laughs> so marketing supports a lot of industries. Universities, okay, so you, you can go to the university and you can study. It's 
you know, fields of study. You can study marketing. So now it's professors, it's research, mm-hmm. books. Um, you, you can major in marketing. It's big business with billions, if not trillions of dollars on the line. Human nature, being what it is, though, can bring in greed. And I think that's where you're going to get into some of your talk here of how we can be misled and steered. But, you know, yeah. not necessarily the criminal intent, but just the idea to well, and I make don't even more money. I think it's necessarily misleading. I think it's just I, I, my goal is to hopefully make some of you a little bit aware of how you are being manipulated, but, I think, is manipulated, a better but word. There, but there are certainly people out there, people who have steered and misled. That's why politicians are a part of this industry now. Yeah. We, they, we've had to... They've had to make laws because people have been doing unscrupulous advertising, and so to protect the consumer, what? What the Consumer Protection Agency? Yeah. Okay, so it it's out there. It's such a big thing. It's such a part of our lives, and we mm-hmm. may not even realize what we're about to do. Okay, so we're about ready to go into an election cycle. Think of the billions and billions of dollars that politicians are going to spend in an attempt to get us to vote for them. So. On that thought, back to the quiz that we had at the beginning. Yeah. Um, about in the 2004 election, uh, about 530 million dollars was spent on presidential election advertising. Which at which one? 2004. Okay. Well, let me finish up here with the history. So, in the United States, around 1840, a guy named Volney B. Palmer set up the first advertising agency in Philadelphia. So, in 1842, Palmer bought large amounts of space in various newspaper at discounted rates. Then he resold the space at higher rates to advertisers. It's money. People are always going to think about how to make more money. So the actual ad, the copy, the layout, the artwork was still prepared by the companies wished to advertise. So in effect, Palmer was just a space broker. But, you know, you see this in finance. People think of, you know, a hundred different ways to mortgage a house. Yeah. So you got reverse mortgage, you got this type of mortgage, you got that type of mortgage. People are going to sit around and dream up of ways to make money off this. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, at this time, you still had the companies coming up with their, own, their, their advertisement, their product to sell. And this guy was just a broker to get in the newspaper. But eventually, you know, the companies probably found out it was better to hire somebody who had the time to do the research, the marketing right. to do that. And so that's where we're getting into... I think where we are in present day, and now people are going to exploit. I'm not saying exploit a bad yeah. way, but to exploit the social media, the however we can get the word out, or they can get the word out to advertise. Right. So, how do they get you to buy into their product? Well, there's well, three main ways. Well, what are those three main ways? So. Advertisers use um, pathos, logos, and ethos to appeal to their buyers. Um, each one of those things are are very, very different. So pathos is an appeal to your emotion. And it's that advertisement is designed to evoke an emotional response in you. And sometimes it's positive emotion, like happiness. You see a lot of those right now during the holidays. Um, you see pathos when you see like a family gathered around. Um, I saw one earlier there was for like a, like one of those um, home 
video things and you like all the family was gathered around talking to grandma in a different state and grandma could see all the whole family and the whole family could see grandma and they were talking on this big screen that everybody could see that's pathos everybody was happy um but you can also use pathos negatively so um, like those commercials with the dogs in the cages Yes, exactly. That's an appeal to your emotion. Um, you don't want to see the dogs freezing out in the cold. That makes you sad. So you want to... Donate money. Donate money to them. Exactly. Logos is an appeal to logic or reason. Um, and those sometimes can be, I think, the most dangerous. Let me guess. Political campaigns? Sometimes. Or it's, it, it gives you statistics, but you don't necessarily... The, the Logos advertisements take some research on your part to find out if those statistics are true. As we always say, research Do your and, research and, and educate, educate yourself. yourself. Absolutely. So, for example, um, one glass of orange juice contains 75% of your daily vitamin C needs. You might see that in... Or... Um, like those testosterone boosting. I saw one of those commercials right before we started recording. This and she'll like it too. Yeah, they'll bust, boost your testosterone by such and such a percent. Um, it, you have to understand the evidence and the statistics. And really, what is it really saying? It sounds good, but what is it really saying? And then finally, ethos is an appeal to the credibility or character. And this kind of goes back to what you were talking about with... Um, the way that a person represents. So you kind of associate certain things with certain people. Um, I'm trying to think of like an example. Um, like certain cars or clothing lines. Yeah. Or like the, actually the one that comes to my mind. Um, I don't know what life insurance company it is because I don't need life insurance, but Alex Trebek sells life insurance for somebody. And so like, I know like you would associate Alex Trebek with that life insurance company, or you might associate, um, well, Tom Selleck is, he's associating himself with reverse mortgages. Right. So that's you, whatever characteristics you would associate to Alex Trebek or Tom Selleck or whoever, that's what you are going to associate with that company as well, because you would assume that they have similar ethos. Interestingly, I asked Anya about this this morning because I kind of, I had wanted to talk to her about this last week and we just didn't have time. Um, and I said, you know, do model just like your average model on the street when you are choosing your job or when you're taking a job, it, do you just take the job or are you like, let's say that you are a fan of brand X and their competitor brand Y offers you a modeling gig. Do you take it even though you know you like brand X better? And she said, for the average model on the street, it's not really going to matter because nobody knows the average model on the street. So they're not going to associate that face with that product. But she said, um, some models actually won't like let's say that you don't agree with wearing fur for example you would not take a job with a company that but if it's had a, a fur line coat or whatever but if it's a non-controversial yeah. topic yeah if it's not something that you feel strongly about she's like yeah i would take you, you even if eat. i prefer brand x i would take a job with brand y if it's not something that's controversial like i need to make money it's my job so she said, but celebrities are different. Like they really have to pay attention. They can't just, they, they know that 
their persona is going to be affiliated with this company or this type of product. So they really have to think about it. Um, and logo or ethos, you want to be like that celebrity. So if you use that product, you're going to be like them. Well, you're not really going to be like them because they're a celebrity and they're getting paid to make you feel like that. So those are the basic appeals, like the ways that they get to you. But more in depth, there are specific techniques that they use within those kind of um, logos, pathos, and ethos. And this is sort of a real quick mini lesson breakdown. This is like what I would, if you had been in my English class, this is some of the stuff that you would have learned. I think I would have played hooky that day. I love this. Like my kids would get to make up their own ads. They would get to pick a brand or they would have to like look through magazines and design ads and stuff. So, uh, so you're going to be my student and you are without naming company names, preferably see if you can think of examples of these different types of techniques. All right. So, you know, they, they stopped putting flavor in paste because when we were kids, we used to eat the paste. I believe that you ate paste. Okay. <laughs> Avant-garde. Avant-garde is the suggestion that using the product puts the user ahead of the times. So like, it, you're going to be the first one to get to use this. Can you think of a, an advertisement like that? Um, no. Okay, so like if you are like toy advertisements, like the latest, greatest toy or gadget. Okay. You, like you wanted to, when smart homes like became games. a thing. Yeah, like, like, okay, like games. Yeah, okay. like when smart homes became a thing, you wanted to get all of the smart home things, like the color-changing bulbs that you can say, turn on, whatever, and it'll turn on. That's avant-garde. You want to be cutting edge. I'm a sucker for that one. You are. Weasel words. They're used to suggest a positive meaning without actually really making any guarantee. So, like, um, so, like, it might, a scientist said, so, um, these are the commercials that, like, you would see somebody in a lab coat, and they say, this diet pill might help you lose weight the way it helped me lose weight. Or this dish soap leaves dishes virtually spotless. And then you read the fine print at the very bottom. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Especially you see a lot of these with um, those quote-unquote medicines that you were talking about earlier. A lot of the uh, quick fix medicines that you see advertised, you'll see on there, has not been evaluated by the FDA for accuracy. You maybe want to steer clear of those. Read the fine print. Magic ingredients. The suggestion that some almost miraculous discovery makes the product exceptionally effective. Can you think of any this of those? This is hard to do without naming specific I know, brands. I know, without naming specific brands, but can you think of any, like, just generic? Yeah, I mean... Without naming the brand, like, for example? Hmm. Well, I can t- kind of think of, like, a makeup one. Yep. Where, like... You, you, there was like a special ingredient. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there is a an unnamed uh, former supermodel who has her own skincare line, uh, and it was developed from a melon that grows only in this one part of the world, and and it's super super rare, uh, and it has some magic ingredient that keeps you looking like this retired supermodel. Well, this lady, I've seen pictures of her. She looks good. So she does maybe, look good. Maybe we maybe it better works. be buying that melon. I don't know. I'm going to rub uh, it on my it's, face. It's, I mean, it's not cheap, but 
but I guess the best magic ingredients never are. Um, <laughs> you're going to like this next one. Patriotism. The suggestion that purchasing this product shows your love of your country. Two words. Trumpy bear. Yes, sir. You know it. Trumpy bear is like the epitome of the patriotic um, persuasive technique. So, Well, you know what? There, you know, aside from Trumpy bear, there's a lot of controversy that like at the football games, like bringing out like the huge American flags, that that is making appeals to people for maybe the wrong reasons. How so? Well, they're they're trying to associate with um, like patriotism with the football games and trying. So, like, what if you, you don't normally, like football, you're not patriotic. No, is it's basically like, the insinuation. No, it's like the army or the military will buy this, and they're spending all this money to quote force patriotism on people. Oh, yeah, yeah. patriotism should probably be genuine. I mean, yeah. respect for the flag is one thing, but you can't force patriotism. No, well, you can't force it, but. It should be you know, genuine. But I, I think it, some of these, most of these games, most of the people though do appreciate it. I think yeah. it's. I think we're hearing from a vocal, vocal minority of people. Yeah. That this is doing that. Patriotism. I enjoy seeing it. Yeah. Patriotism and advertising. It, a lot of the times you hear about it in the in the context of a company brags that its product is being made in America. Um, I would even go almost a half step further and say that not only is patriotism a, a persuasive technique, but I would say religiosity, I don't know if that's the word, is a persuasive technique too. There is, um, speaking of made in America, there is a product that um, apparently is a pretty well-selling product. We own some of these things. And uh, the, the founder of the company does his own um, commercials. Do I lay my head on these at yeah, night? You do indeed. Okay. Um, he does his own commercials and he proudly says all of my, uh, I guess we can say that it's a pillow. All of my pillows are made in my hometown here in America. They're all hundred percent American made. And as he's telling you this, he's wearing a large gold cross around his neck, which he may or may not wear all the time. I don't know. I don't know the guy. I, he may be very, very faithful um, to his Christian religion, and he may not. But just by wearing that giant gold cross, the fact it's very now. Now that you see, now that you've heard that, you're going to notice. Like when you see him on TV, you're going to notice that cross if you haven't already, because it's very shiny. Well, I happen to think his pillows are very comfortable too. They are, um, but his cross is very shiny. That's a that's a free plug for them. There you go. I like their pillows. His cross is very shiny. So it kind of is eye-catching. And so he wants you to not only know that his product is made in America, but he's a good, wholesome Christian man who keeps his business in America. And he wants you to associate his company with that image. And so if those are your morals as well, then obviously you need to buy from only him and only use his pillows. And now his bed sheets too, I think he has now. Um. Let's see. Other persuasive techniques. Transfer. The positive words, images, and ideas are used to suggest that the product being sold is also positive. So I think a lot of the time, um, like I kind of think about uh, sports drinks sometimes like this. Like a lot of the time um, you'll see sports drinks, not even necessarily like 
famous athletes, but like in the commercial, you'll see um, an athlete say playing basketball or whatever, and they're obviously in good shape and they are um, making layups and then they take a break for a minute and they drink this sports drink and it, it replenishes their body. And so then you, you kind of get the idea that um, if I drink this sports drink, I'm also going to be able to, you know, the sports drink is for people who like to play basketball and like to do jump shots or it kind of goes with um, like your Jeep. So like Jeep images. Well, you see all the pictures of Jeep. It's out in the country, out in nature, people out fun loving. It's not the picture of... You don't see the mall crawlers. You don't see the mall crawlers. It's out doing what a Jeep is supposed to do. Yep. Um, so yeah, so that's an example of transfer. Plain folks, the suggestion that the product is a practical product of good value for ordinary people. So you see a lot of this with cleaning supplies, especially like in those commercials where it's just the little, your, like where the little boy pees and in the immaculately clean house and mom just sits yeah. there and smiles <laughs> as she wipes up the pee. Um, kid's so cute he peed all over the bathroom of my spotlessly clean house i'm just gonna use this cleaning product and it'll be up in a jiffy yep yep plain old folks just like you and me in our spotlessly clean house with oh and there's the golden retriever that runs across and never sheds yeah that dog (laughs) those commercials are fake because Rupert <laughs> sheds. You should see, oh, Lord, you should see the inside of the Jeep. We, he's only in it once a week, and it's like, it's not even. Anyway, so plain folks, just just like the rest of us, you won't see. Actually, you will sometimes. I was going to say you don't see celebrities in plain folks commercials, but sometimes you do, depending on the celebrity. Jennifer Garner, who I you probably don't recognize the name, but I think you would know her face if you saw her. Jennifer Garner is one of the plain folks who um, everybody wants to think that she is just like an ordinary mom, even though she's famous. Well, it's, it's like Tom Selleck. It, he, yeah. He's trying to come across, and he does a very good job at it, of coming across, look, I'm just a, a senior American like you. I trust this product. Yeah. And, th- you know, they're, they're old guy. He's just a normal guy that's doing this and that's how he's trying to come across and I think he does a really good job at at doing that. He's a trustworthy figure. There you go. But keep in mind he's an actor and he's getting paid to make you feel like that. Um, Conversely, the flip side of plain folks is snob appeal, which is the suggestion that the use of the product makes the customer part of an elite group with a luxurious and glamorous lifestyle. So you see a lot of car commercials again like this where um I, I feel like car commercials are either plain folks or snob appeal. Like a lot of pickup trucks commercials are plain folks commercials. Mm-hmm. Whereas a lot of like sports car commercials are snob appeal commercials. Well, they're appealing to people who can afford it. Yeah. Except, uh, have you seen the price of a pickup truck lately? Yeah, I, I've seen the price. Those of need to be truck. snob appeal commercials. Yeah. They cost just as much as the, as the sports cars. Some of them. Uh, bribery offers you something extra. You see a lot of these during the holidays as well. Buy one, one, get get one. one. That's exactly what it is. Buy one, get one. Uh, Buy one, get one free is really not... I mean, it's a good deal, but it's actually... Both things are half off. You're not actually getting one for free. You're getting two things for 50% off. Well, now, in some states, there there are laws. So, like, if you buy one, get one free, 
in some states, if you buy one, you pay the full price of one. And if you get the second one, you get it for free. In some states, it's the law that if you only buy one, they have to sell that to you at half price. So it depends on the laws oh, of the states. Interesting. Yep. What I was thinking about, too, with this, well, and it kind of goes back to that, um, you see it a lot in grocery stores with the, like, the the membership things. Like, um, for us, the grocery store that we have here is, like, our Kroger Plus card. So, like, for example, Plus card members will get, it's they advertise it as it's 10 for $10, Okay, it's also one for one dollar, but they're not going to tell you that because they want you to buy ten of them. So you don't have to buy ten to get them for a dollar each, but they're advertising it as ten for ten dollars. But you have to use your Kroger Plus card to get right, it. Yeah. right. But so the shoppers' cards, um, and I think all grocery stores pretty much now have that. Winn Dixie, I know, has it. Kroger has it. Uh, I'm sure, like those are the only two I know because that's Florida in here, but. Um, but I think most of the grocery stores have those and they have, you know, if you're a member, which most people I think are, then you get 10 for $10. You don't have to buy all 10 of them. Oh, it's good marketing because you can That's go, a, you can use your app. You can go online. You can get your discounts when you oh, no, scan Oh, no, I'm not out. talking about the cards themselves. I'm talking about 10 for $10. They're not going to advertise a dollar each. They're going to say 10 for $10 because then you're like, oh, that's a good deal. You probably don't need 10 of them, but you're going to get it because in your mind, you think that's the only way you're going to get it on sales if you buy 10 and that's not accurate. Bribery. Uh, and the last big persuasive technique is bandwagon, which is the suggestion that you should join the crowd or be on the winning side by using a product. You don't want to be the only one without it. You're not, you don't want to be the, the only one. And I think uh, <laughs> I might strike a nerve with this one with you. Um, cell phones. You, we, we talk about this with cell phones a lot. Like you, you have noticed that people get very defensive about their cell phone provider. I have seen people almost get in fist fights because you tell them that I use this company and they get so angry because you're using that cell phone provider. They use another cell phone provider. Maybe they got burned by that company at one time, or they're just so brand loyal. People are like that with their products. You use a Mac or a PC. Yeah. I see people get really, really upset because you say, I use a PC or I use yeah, a Apple Mac. versus Android is a big one. But even more so than like the platform like that is specific carriers. Company. Like, yeah. yeah, like. Yeah. Sprint versus T-Mobile versus AT&T versus, what's the other one, Verizon versus... Yeah, whoever. Yeah, who people are it. very, very loyal to their company and get really upset, get really angry. If you tell them, I use this carrier, Yeah. why do you use them? Yeah. I had them one time. It's that whole bandwagon thing. Like, oh, you, us versus them. You're different from me. I'm not, you're not on that bandwagon, so you're not worthy of my respect or my friendship. Those are just some of the advertising techniques that are out there. That's some of the ways that they play with you. Um, do you want to talk? I wanted to talk a little bit about where you will see these ads. Now you can, you're, you'll see them in. Um, well, the seven most influential advertising mediums for 2018. Yeah, it was, was mobile. I, so I'm thinking, you know, we're talking about our phones right there, TV, video, email. 
search engine marketing. Oh, I hate that. Retargeting. And guess what? Number seven is... Podcasts. Podcast. We don't do ads. So if you are listening to us, just so you know, the ads that you hear before and or after our show, we're not affiliated with those. Those are the platform that you're listening to us on. We don't do ads. We don't make any money off of those, just we're so you know. Get, we're not getting a penny off of it. Nope. So just so you know, those are not affiliated with us. And it is my personal platform that I don't want to do ads, like ever. Like, I don't want to put ads in the middle of the show. If I thought I could make $80,000 a year, we'd, we'd have some ads in here. Yeah, we're, you guys aren't listening to us enough to get us there that no, yet, we, we need more listeners. More listeners! Anyway, so so what did you get hit all of them? Yeah, that was it. Um, that's interesting. That print. What well, about print? Did you say print media on there? Yep, 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 yep. Okay, but because um, when I was teaching, that was what I would do. Like I would bring in a ton of magazines, and I would say, "All right, you get say like I would say, all right, you get bandwagon." As your technique, I want you to go through and find me 10 examples of a bandwagon advertisement in these magazines. Well, because of all the trade or because of all the how money is tied to this, there's you, you have to protect your brand. And there's some companies that will furiously, furiously go after you if you use the oh, yeah. product. But like trademarks and copyrights are part of it, part of today. Like if we do a ceremony with what I do, if we do a ceremony and we take we need a cake made. And we want oh, our yeah. and we want our own logo on that. We have to take proof up to the baker and show them that we own this and that we have the mm-hmm. rights to do this, or they can get fined and sued or whatever if they do that. But we, you know, we obviously can show that we own that the logo and what we do. And not even with like I'm even thinking about. Um, so Steve is the um, leader in the praise band at our church, and. He has to when he so like if you are a church attending person, then um, a lot of times in churches when you're singing at the beginning of your church, uses we do a lot music. of cover songs. Yeah, <laughs> if your church uses praise music and they put the lyrics up on the screen, they have to you like at the bottom of the slide, you have to put um, like legally, you have to put the words and lyrics information on there, don't you? Yeah, we if have you're to broadcasting put, like, it, who who wrote the song who. The, the publishers, all the marketing stuff has to be up there for every song. Yeah, so there are things with copyright and trademark that most people don't even think about. Like, I, I would venture to say that most people don't, in our church service, like, don't even notice that that's there at the bottom of the slide. I only notice because of you. Like, I, if I didn't know that you had to do that, I wouldn't pay any attention to it. Yeah, and, like, sometimes we'll, we'll get requests to do sing certain songs and, and I, you can't do it. I, I can't do it because I, it's not licensed for us to, to, to pull it off and, and, yep. and perform it publicly. Yeah, yeah it's, it's really interesting. There's a lot of um, behi- kind of behind-the-scenes stuff that goes on with public broadcasting and performance and so on and so forth. Um, did you have anything else that you wanted to cover? Uh, just, it's, it's like... Like on your end? Because I have a little bit more. Yeah, the only thing I was going to say, too, is like... Even at universities, when you see stuff that's going on, if you want to advertise, if you want to do something in the university, you don't deal with the university. You work with a, an agency that the university has hired mm-hmm. that protects their trade work. Because I worked at another university down in the uh, Cincinnati area. Oh, and, and they every, have a big basketball presence. Yeah, and 
for us to use our little logo on that to use anything with the university, we had to send it up to get it approved and trademarked so that we could use it because if we're going to use the university brand and we were closely closely associated with the university, we had to get it approved by the marketing by the, mm-hmm. the marketing agency before we were allowed to do that. Now they did, but it's just a matter of yeah. it, you had to have that little R on it yep. to make everything legal. And that particular university is an NCAA school. So yeah, they're and, almost all NCAA schools. So well like the school that you're at now. It's an NCAA school. Is it school. really? Yeah. It's oh, interesting. Yeah. I thought they were too small. No. Oh, okay. it, it has nothing to do with the size of the school. I guess that's true because the other university is pretty small too. Yeah. But um so yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of hands in a lot of pots. Uh, a lot of money writing on a lot of stuff. So how can you kind of going back to the very beginning of the show when we talked about children, because this is, I think a lot of even adults don't realize how manipulated they are. But if you want to protect your children from this kind of thing and you want to limit their exposure, especially on television, I did want to talk real quick about the TV ratings guide. Um, I think a lot of people don't recognize the TV ratings Um, You don't really pay much attention to them. It's a little black box that comes up at the beginning of a show. uh, And it's usually in the upper left-hand corner, I think. Um, And there are different ratings. So at the top, it'll say TV and then letters. It'll be either uh, TVY, TVY7, TVG, TVPG, TV14, or TVMA. So TVY is suitable for all children. Like, think of Mr. Rogers. TVY7 is designed for ages children 7 plus. And some examples of shows like that that are out now. Um, if you have little kids, you've probably heard of Miraculous, The Adventures of Ladybug and Cat Noir. That's a TV7 show. Uh, TVG, most parents would pi- find the show appropriate for all ages. Um, Victorious, I think it's on Nickelodeon, has a show called Victorious. That's a TVG show. TVPG, May not be suitable for your for younger children. You're seeing Baby Yoda everywhere. Mandalorian is rated TV PG. TV 14. Many parents would find the content unsuitable for children under the age of 14. Think Rick and Morty. TV MA specifically designed for adults like Game of Thrones. And then beyond even that, underneath the rating, there will be either there will be content descriptors. So D suggestive dialogue usually means that the show talks about sex. FV, fantasy violence, um, you only see that in children's programming. L is coarse or crude language, S, sexual situations, and V, violence. Um, Now, just so you know, guidelines uh, apply to most television television ratings, specifically, um, including those specifically geared towards young children, but they are applied on an episode-by-episode basis. So one TV, one episode might be rated TV 14. The next might be TV MA. So you really need to check them. Um, and even they may even be edited differently based on when and what channel they air. So it may have originally aired on HBO and been rated TV MA, but then they edit out some of the content and it may get a TV 14 rating on a different channel. Interesting. Yeah. So you really, 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 really should pay attention to those TV show ratings. Okay. Um, and based on those ratings, uh, a lot of times will be based on, like advertisers will sell based on, sell content based on those ratings. So. Wow. Interesting stuff. There's I, a lot. Yeah. yeah. Again, I think we need to change our, our uh, how we market this on all the different podcast channels is educational. 
Yeah. Because I, you know what? I learn a lot as we do this. Yeah. I, I learn a lot. So, Kim, if someone wanted to get hold of us, how do they get hold of us? Okay. So, there are a couple of things that I wanted to talk about real, real quick. There is one week left to vote for, to nominate us for Best Podcast in Dayton. Um, if you go to projects.dayton.com, uh, just in the search bar, type in Best Local Podcast, nominate an hour of your life, and just hit nominate. You can multiple multiple times a day for the next seven days, please nominate us. We would be so honored. Um, we have a Christmas special coming up on December 25th. Uh, if you want to find us, you can find us on Instagram, an hour of your life. You can also find the link to best of Dayton in our bio on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook and you can reach us via email at a lost hour at gmail.com. I think that's it. I think that's it. So, Woo. yeah. So, again, we're, I'm going to start getting us out of here as we play our song that I did, which is copyrighted <laughs> to me and to us. But Don't thank, steal it. Yeah, so thank you listening to An Hour of Your Life. And, Kim? From the beautiful studios in, in Beaver, Beaver Creek, Ohio. Ohio. Thanks for spending an hour of your life with us. <laughs> <laughs>